my name is Carol Mkize. I'm from, originally from KZN, now I live in Johannesburg. Um, under the leadership of Pastor Roger and Nicola Pierce, amazing leaders. And I've been in campus ministry for 14 years now. And you ask yourself, why have you not moved on with your life? Because I think that they feel that it's safer for me to stay with the students. <laughs> this morning, we are going to look at Psalm 103. And I lived in, in, in Cape Town for six months when I went to the School of Campus Ministry. And I, that's where I got to meet some of my best friends today um, and girls that I've, I've journeyed with or walked with for a very long time long time being 14 years, um, in the Lord and, and who really honestly I believe that have kept me going. There'll be times in our lives when we can, when we feel like we have a strong relationship with God, but then there are times in our lives when we need those friends who are like those four men who carried their friend to Jesus. And, and these are, are some of my, my, my friends who've done that for me. Um, but the reason why that, that, that triggered the, those kind of friendships was was the title of this morning is Oh My Soul. And I thought, how funny, because most of the time we, they, they used to use Oh My Soul for something different. Um, not, not necessarily positive, more like, you know, when, you've heard, when you hear um, terrible news, you go, Oh My Soul. Um, but that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about Oh My Soul in a good way what your soul can do and what your soul can trigger and what your soul can, how your soul can worship God to a place that it transforms your life. Oh, my soul, in a good way. Oh, my soul, because I've just heard the good news that Jesus Christ already died for me. So whatever I'm facing this morning, it doesn't have to consume me. Whatever I'm facing this morning, it doesn't have to be the end of the story. Oh, my soul, because God is so good. How amazing was worship. I really wanted us to stay in worship. Oh, let me, before I move on, I brought this Bible so that you, you actually think that there's a lot of good theology in my head <laughs> and kind of manipulate you into thinking everything I'm saying is good and amazing, you know, because why else would she have a big Bible in front of her? Unless if she carried everything that was inside. I mean, yes, in my heart, but not like, not the, the study version of it. So it's just going to sit here. And for any of you who start asking yourself what's going on, like, why is she even the one that was asked to preach? Look at the Bible. <laughs> it shall bring transformation for you. And then the rest of us just track with me on my notes. That's where all the scriptures, the scriptures are written more in my notes than, you know, they are in the Bible. But also just for those of you who will be watching that she hasn't turned a page in it, that's just to keep you at ease. It won't, no page is turning after this. I've literally just opened it and put a, a marker here. There's a Bible for you. If you feel sleepy, look at the Bible, the Lord will transform you. <laughs> Someone... 103, Oh, my soul is the title of the message, the subtitle of the message. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you subtitles of subtitles. I will get into the message. Is worship as warfare and intimacy. That's what I want to talk about this morning. What worship looks like as warfare and what worship looks like 
as intimacy. I started thinking about this. It was in April. Um, it happened on a, between the 27th and 29th of April um, in 2018. And that weekend is so significant for me because that weekend in 2017, I was in KZN attending my cousin's wedding. And that's the last time I saw my younger brother who then passed on a month later. And I look back at that weekend and I remember being in that moment with the tension of seeing life in these students and the future leaders of our nation, knowing that there's a soul that I had lost a year before that. But I couldn't help but notice the goodness of God. Why? Because I remember when he passed on, I was so confused. He was the baby of the family. And I just didn't understand why. And I remember third day after his passing, my sister and I were sitting in my mother's bedroom looking at each other going, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? I mean, I, I know we're going to get through it because of God, but we're just in the beginning phase of, you know, his loss. How is that going to happen for us? And within maybe two minutes, my sister turned around and she said, through gratitude, maybe if we start looking at everything that is good that God has done, it's going to begin to outweigh the sorrow that we're feeling. And maybe not today, but the more we sing to our souls how good God is. And that's pretty much how we got through the year, was the worship that comes from within, although there's pain inside your soul. Why was there so much pain? Because it wasn't our first time experiencing death. In 1998, my dad passed away when I was 18 years old. Now you know how old I am. Yes, I'm 38 years old and I'm single and I live with my mother. <laughs> That's 1998. In 2007, my older brother passed on, cancer as well. And um, in 2017, 10 years later, the youngest and the only remaining boy, or male, because <laughs> my dad was not a boy, he was a man, <laughs> he passed on. And so we knew exactly what we were about to go through. And we thought to ourselves, how are we gonna make it through this? And we turned around and we said, through gratitude. So you will face tough moments you will go through very difficult things that are unexplainable, even in God. You will face difficult circumstances, but they're not usually the end. They're part of a journey, but they're not the end. So as we go through this scripture or this passage of scripture in Psalm 103, for those of you who are going through a tough time. Maybe it's not death of a family member. Maybe you're in a tough season in your, in your business. Maybe you're in a tough season in your marriage. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's your children who are going through a tough time. Wherever you find yourself this morning, maybe you're in a joyous season, 
wherever you find yourself this morning, I would love to encourage you to open up your heart to hear from God, to open up your soul to rejoice in Him, to not only just sing that you are good, but experience the goodness of God. Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And maybe that's where we found ourselves, that as we bless the Lord, may we not forget the goodness of God, not forgetting His benefits, because God has been good to us. For those of us who are South African, yes, we've faced a very tough time in the past couple of years, probably more division than we've seen in the past couple of years than before. Maybe that's actually not accurate. But we've seen the goodness of God where people had given up and thought that by the time we get to 1994, something different was gonna happen. But the grace of God and his mercy said no. And he intervened in a situation where a man should have come out and said revenge, it's our turn. But we saw God move through a man that we can debate whether he knew God or not. And grace took over. If that alone is not good for us to have hope for the future, that God can do it again. This is if you have nothing else good to say thank you to God for, well then let me remind you of this good God who loves this nation. There's something about South Africa and Africa that will continue to be the blessing to the nations even before they experience it or see it. There's something that we bring as a nation. This is why the enemy gets so intimidated that he has to always make it look so bad about who we are as a people. There's something prophetic about South Africa that we would much rather face the tension, go through the issues, say what we're facing, rather than pretending like nothing is happening. Because we know that we actually will live out the prophetic model of heaven with every nation, every tribe, worshiping together. Because even though you don't see the biggest answers to the questions we have, the fact that we're worshiping together under one roof does something to heaven that it actually diminishes the plans of the enemy. Now that's not part of my sermon before you actually think, is that what she's gonna talk about? But I just really felt that the Lord prompt in me, Carol, look around. The future looks good. But we have to feel it and embrace it. Change is coming. Because if they can do it at that age together, how is it going to look 10, 20 years from now? How will our nation look? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Rise up within me, Lord. So I love the fact that this psalm starts and ends with, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I want to just quickly go through Psalm 103 because I want to take us into the worship and warfare 
I mean, warfare and intimacy as our worship. But I do want to break down this psalm very quickly. It starts and it ends with, bless the Lord, O my soul. And here, and this is a psalm that David wrote. Here, he's exhorting the soul to bless the Lord. That the soul should be careful not to forget the benefits. That we should be careful not to forget what the Lord has done. What he has done in our families, in our businesses, in our marriages. So many young people don't believe in marriage anymore. So many young people don't see the need to even get married. They don't see the need. Why? Why should I, if I can just, you know, kind of have a partner and then whatever. We don't even need children. But you do know that that's the plan of the enemy. It is the plan of the enemy. And so why not destroy marriages so that everybody could be discouraged? And yet some of you have walked in with your partners or your, or your wives or your spouses, actually. You've walked in with your spouse. It's not just something that is normal. It is miraculous with the type of warfare that we face. It is a miracle that you actually get to still smile at your spouse in the midst of the difficulties. <laughs> That the day when you walk down the aisle is a little bit different of you, to what you imagined in terms of what you're living out today. And you look at your children and with the hopes that you had for them. And maybe you're not feeling too great about where they're at. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and not forget his benefits. That so many try to have children and don't get them for years. And they are yours in front of you. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Um, 103, 6 to 18 goes into the benefits. I'm going to try and read some of them. I'm not going to read the entire thing. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. 106, I'm sorry, 103, verse 3 to 5 says this. Who forgives all iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, so that you look like me. <laughs> that would be a bit awkward if some of you just turned and looked like me. But when you look at the benefits, this are, well, the first point is that benefits come to an individual, but it's not individualistic. Here, it's to an individual who forgives all your iniquities, but it doesn't remain as individualistic. It's not just for an individual to just enjoy. And that's because when you move on to verse 6, all the way to 14, and I'm not going to be able to read all of it, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God is amazing. I always try to teach myself to be very slow in becoming angry. 
Look at the Bible. <laughs> he will not chide, nor will he keep anger, his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. It's challenging. Because it's the first thing when I start sharing with my sister some of the difficulties we live together. So we're pretty much like a married couple. Trust me. When my married friends tell me that, you know, the difficulties they're facing in their marriage and he doesn't understand me, I'm like, I know. <laughs> Hubby's at home. I'm too emotional for him. Everything is about emotion, Carol. And I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I thought I was having a conversation, not just exposing my emotions, but okay. No repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does his so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I heard a preacher once say this, that isn't it interesting that God didn't say as far as north is from south because you get to North Pole and you get to South Pole. But as far as east is from the west, there is no end. I know, I was like, wow. So God really does Forgive us that way. Second Corinthians 5 talks about the fact that he was not counting their transgressions against them. Often what we think is that God still remembers the shame that we carry from the sin that we committed. But as far as east is from the west, and the reason why we remember is because the enemy needs us to remember so that we'll be distracted from really enjoying the goodness of God, as far as east is from the west. David teaches us here why we should worship God, because he's slow to anger, because of his steadfast love, because he forgives us as far as east is from the west, he forgets our sins. God really does forget them. As soon as you repent, it's gone, it is done. But the enemy would love for you to remember that, would love for you to believe that it's not really true. He speaks about God being good, being loving, being faithful, being forgiving. So an individual is a member of a community. Because if you read from 6 to 14, it shows you that. That it's no longer just about the individual. But here's the part that I love. 17 to 18, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to the children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. This talks about generations, that individuals contributes to the progress of community or of the community, that it's not just about our relationship with God, but how we only embrace God will bring progress to this that as we worship together, we bring progress into the community that we are a part of. So sometimes when we're not too happy about the song list, 
or just the first song we sang, which nothing was wrong, by the way. It's always bad to use those examples, you know, because the worship leader goes, what was the first song again? What, what was wrong with that? Or maybe the sermon or the preacher that they chose for that Sunday, and you're thinking, my goodness, when is 11 o'clock? But we bring progress to the community, meaning that our intimate relationships with God on a daily basis will determine the type of faith that we walk into and bring into the environment. That we're so full. You know when you're full, it's easy for you to want to give away your food, even if it's your favorite type of food. Even I do it, trust me, when I'm full. (laughs) And that's the thing about walking with God on a daily basis is that when you're filled up with him, then his goodness is demonstrated and it's tangible. And it's not just something when we're worshiping that we're thinking about up there, that we're just raising our hands, but we are experiencing it because of even the people around you. I've got to say that coming here always makes me feel good because from the, you know, like the gate, people are smiling, you know, holding your hand, looking at you in the eye, like you're some important thing, you know, I just feel like a president. (laughs) But that's not because it's just to me, it's to everyone. Everyone is so kind and everyone is like, you know, and and then some of us sometimes if we walk in here and we're not feeling that great, we know the type of week we've had or maybe we didn't get, you know, much sleep. But when you're filled up, you bring progress to the community. You make the community progress, progress, move forward, be lifted up. And suddenly the whole community begins to feel this because of the people who walk out of this place, not only coming here to fulfill a ritual, but knowing that they bring the living God into their environments. So worship, excuse me, as warfare and intimacy, as I close, we can do it. Usually when I say, as I close, that's when it just goes badly. But because I like you guys and I always just try to, you know, get another invitation. I'm going to try and do it in four minutes. But the goodness of God, because you came here so filled up, should it go over by just... The grace of God should hold the hand that that controls the mic volume. <laughs> Verse 22, bless the Lord, bless the Lord all his works, all, all, in all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So you see the psalm starts and it ends with bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. It goes on to tell us why. Give us the benefits of the fact that we, too, are not allowed to be hard on ourselves. You know, it's easy for you to say, someone else is not allowed to be hard on you. But God is interested in you more because you carry your soul. That you, too, are not allowed to be tough on yourself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And let your maker be the one that does the work that he needs to do. 
leaving very little room, if at all, for the enemy to come and do anything that would lead you down that path, to consume your thoughts with things that you can't change. God brings transformation and not so much what the enemy does. What the enemy does is remind you all the time what God has forgotten about as far as east is from the west. But in conclusion, I want to look at the, how God choose, what God looks at. When God searched for a king, he was looking for a king who was, a, who was also a worshiper. We see this with Saul. When Saul was anointed as king, this is in 1 Samuel 10. Samuel gave him a confirmation prophecy, and I'm going to quickly read it. After that, you shall come to, to Gilbeth, where there is a garrison of the Philistine. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre because before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and, and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and, and, um, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and, and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. Behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew, who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Isn't it amazing that when the Spirit of the Lord came on Saul, he became another man? Which means that he was transformed. Doesn't necessarily mean that he became one of the prophets. But when you read further, he, once he was among the prophets, ended up prophesying like them. So when God was looking for a king, he was looking for someone who, was, who is a worshiper. And when he found that in Saul and anointed him, as soon as the hand of God came upon him, he was transformed. As soon as the hand of God comes upon us, we are transformed. We can't make it ourselves. It is the Spirit of God that falls on us, that causes the transformation. It's quite interesting that although God was looking for a worshiper and although when, when the people you know, saw him amongst the people, they couldn't even tell the difference now. They couldn't tell the difference between Saul and the prophets. And some of them were like, is that him? Does that look like him? Do people notice that in us? After we've come out of the presence of God, can they tell the transformation that we've been with a living God and it's transformed the parts that were probably tough about us? that we couldn't change with any amount of therapy, just a touch of God. But when Saul gets rejected, what happens? God goes on to look for another king and is looking for someone who is a worshiper. The person that God was looking for 
to be king was someone whose heart was bent towards worship. So 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When Samuel went to Jesse's house, Jesse took out all his 10 sons, but he had 11, right? Right? We don't, yeah, yeah, maybe, okay, we'll all check it out later. <laughs> but when, he, when, he, when, when, when Samuel asked him for his sons, he took out everyone but David. Because David, the stature, his stature was not like his brother's. He wasn't even part of, he wasn't even a soldier. He was a shepherd. But a shepherd who worshipped in secret. Who served God when no one saw. When no one would see. Whereas his brothers physically looked like they worshipped God. And aren't we glad for Samuel, a prophet who actually is attentive to the word of God. God says, don't look at the outer appearance. And sometimes we might think that worship is about how high we raise our hands or as great as that is. Or how well we speak when we see someone. But the greatest worship is what you do when no one sees you. The deepest worship that God is looking for is what you do when, if no one finds out, you won't get caught. That's the type of worship that God is looking for. And so he says, he says to Samuel, go for that guy. And out of that comes Psalm 103 and all the other Psalms, obviously. Out of a place of God being pleased with this shepherd who didn't look the part, he says, that's the guy that I want to anoint. And this morning, when I said that I want to talk about worship as warfare and intimacy, you see that kind of intimacy will teach us how to use worship as warfare. Why? Because if you jump down to Samuel 16, 17 to 18, I promise this is the last one. (laughs) No, I don't promise. There's one last one. So Saul said to his servants, provide me with a man who can play well and bring him to me. Why was Saul asking for this? He he had demons inside of him. He was battling with demons. And Saul knew, here's a point I forgot. I knew that I forgot something. From the first scripture I read about about Saul being anointed. When, When you read there, it says that the prophets came down and before them were what? All these musical instruments as a symbol of worship. Worship preceded them. It was worship that preceded them. And as they were coming down and prophesying, it was worship that preceded them. So Saul knew that he needed worship. He needed someone to play worship or be around worship in order for these demons to to be cast out. Because that's what happens. The enemy becomes defeated when he throws the worst curveball your way. And it hits you, you acknowledge, but then you decide and turn and choose to praise God in that moment. 
It opens up your heart to the living God instead of, instead of the depression that is trying to bring through that season. And that's what happens. And so Saul knew that he needed worship. He needed worship because now he was just um, so consumed by these demons. And so he calls for who? For, for David, the guy who God recognized was a worshiper. And when David got to him, behold, I've seen, oh, well, when he called for him, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse in, in, in Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing and a man of valor, a man of war. He knew what war looked like, prudent in speech and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. A man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Sometimes in our small corners where no one can see, we feel like we're not really moving forward, never been recognized. I'd never be that person. I wish I could speak like that person. I wish I could worship like that person. Maybe sometimes instead of trying to compare yourself, spend more time in the secret place. And at the right time, the Lord will be the one that goes before you and presents you and say all these things that you cultivated in the secret place. And so God is calling us to a deeper place of worship, not just to worship him, but to recognize his goodness over our lives. That even if, you know, the, the worst things that happen to us or the people that we love or the people around us, that we could turn around and open our hearts to worshiping him, allowing him to come into our soul. I'm going to end with this. Second Samuel 6. Obviously, David did cast out the demon in Saul by playing the harp. Second Samuel 6, 22, 20-22 says this, And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of, of his servants, female servants, as one of the, as one of the, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above, above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more con contemptible. In other versions, it says more dignified, undignified than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Worship comes from deep within. And once we cultivate a lifestyle of that, we soon get rid of um, fear of man. You no longer care about what you look like when it comes to other people. Where you say something and they look at you and they're like, oh, she's lost it. She does really need help. He does really need help. They've lost it. They think that God's going to be able to pull them out of that. Ever shared a testimony with someone or before it's a testimony? Shared a story of how God spoke to you and how he told you that he's going to pull you out of that? And someone looks at you and they're like, they just need something to make them cope. 
It's a coping mechanism that they use God and you see it in their eyes that they think you're crazy. Have you seen people who look at you that way? Or it's just me. But most of the time, really, they're right. But with someone, it's just like, but how? You see, once you get to moments where you feel like, how is it going to happen? That's a good moment for you to experience God. But how? For you, through worship, worshiping Him. For Him, He deals with the impossible situations. It's not for you to deal with the impossible situation, to make it happen, to fix it. That's God's job. Your job is to worship Him before you even see it happen. Your role is to bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not your benefits. That even if I don't see it right now, I know that if I look up to you, you will do it, God. Amen.